what should keep you up at night is not what does so-and-so think of me? What should keep you up at night is, holy smokes, I'm only alive for this very brief, this fleeting, this finite amount of time. Am I going to use it well or am I going to squander it? Thanks to BetterHelp for supporting The Kathy Heller Show. For 10% off your first month, go to betterhelp.com slash dreamjob. Start living a better life today. Also, thanks to Etitude. Made from the world's first clean bamboo fabric, Etitude sheets are softer than silk and as sustainable as hemp. Get 20% off your order plus free shipping when you visit etitude.com slash dreamjob. And thanks to Coinbase. Cryptocurrency might feel like a secret or exclusive club, but Coinbase believes that everyone everywhere should be able to get in the door. Whether you've been trading for years or you're just getting started, Coinbase can help. For limited time, new users can get $10 in free Bitcoin when you sign up today at coinbase.com slash dreamjob. Hey guys, it's Kathy. Welcome back to the Kathy Heller Show. I hope you had a beautiful weekend. Today is Monday, February 21st, and that means tomorrow is 222. 22 and we will begin our made for millions series i'm so excited danielle laporte will be our first guest you guys are in for such a treat this is going to be 16 weeks we're going to be doing 20 sessions live on zoom this is going to be talking about not only the strategies but also the mindset of how you align so that you can fully allow in whatever is this future you can't stop dreaming about you still have time to join us. You can go to kathyheller.com slash millions to enroll. Also, I want you to hop on over to my Instagram because yesterday I did a reel about my morning routine and so many people seem to love it. I'm so glad I thought to do it. I had no makeup on. I literally had just woken up and I was like, you know what? I want to show everybody what happens for me in the morning that really sets my day off in, in the way that I, I can be intentional and like really have just more well-being. And so I made a little reel where I show you how I do this little three-minute meditation and I use these speakers. Um, it's actually called the NOW, N-O-W, NOW Therapy System. I bought it off of Amazon and I'm actually doing a giveaway. So if you go to my Instagram and watch the reel, all you have to do is like it and tag someone and I'm going to be giving away a pair of these beautiful two little speakers. They set for three minutes. I'm not sponsored by them, but I've bought this for so many friends because everybody has three minutes in your day where we where you can pause and you can just listen. It's set for three minutes. You listen to these like meditation singing bowls and it totally calms your nervous system. And it's just amazing how we get so frenetic. We get so caught up in the emails and what, what do we have to do later? And we start to get stressed. We really do. And if we can just spend three minutes, like every time I do this within the first 25 seconds, I already feel calm and I already feel connected to this part of me that's always within reach. That is just this feeling of wholeness, this feeling of there's nothing missing, this feeling of this full peaceful feeling. And the more that we dwell there, the more that we truly are our true selves. And when we live from that place, oh my gosh, it's like we can just draw everything towards us because we don't create from lack, we create from wholeness. And so just training ourselves to memorize that part of us that feels 
peaceful and calm and abundant and infinite. It's so good. So if you go to my Instagram at kathy.heller, you can enter the giveaway and you can watch the reel that I put up yesterday. All right. Well, today we have a great episode. Daniel Pink is here and he's awesome. He's so brilliant. He was here before. I'm really glad he's back because he has a new book. He's a number one New York Times bestselling author. He's written books like A Whole New Mind, Drive, To Sell as Human, When, and he has another really insightful book that came out earlier this month. It's called The Power of Regret, How Looking Backward Moves Us Forward. And it's all about how we can enlist our regrets to make smarter decisions, perform better at work and school, and deepen our sense of meaning and purpose. Dan went on an incredible quest to write this book. He conducted his own world regret survey, collected almost 17,000 regrets from people in 105 countries, and he put his findings into the power of regret. So it's a really fascinating look into some of the core regrets that are shared by people all around the world. And how can we use this data to live a fuller, more expansive life? It was such an honor to have Dan back. I always feel like I'm getting a front row seat to a TED Talk whenever I speak with him. I know you're going to enjoy this one. So without further ado... Please welcome the incredible Dan Pink. Daniel Pink, I'm so happy that you're here. Welcome back. Thanks for having me back. You're awesome. In fact, you're the first person when I started the show five years ago that my husband said, could you please have Dan Pink on your show? Because he's the person that I most want to hear. And then his general counsel, he used to be a lawyer at Fox Sports. He was in an elevator with her one day and to impress her. He said, do you know my wife had Daniel Pink on her show? And she's like, you know, that's my favorite person in the world. He's like, I, I know. I'm well aware. Wow. So, so, you're... so it's, good to, it's good to know. So, so maybe you guys can adopt me at some point. Great. I would love to have. But then I was very intimidated just to go downstairs and get cereal. So that probably wouldn't work. But <laughs> I want to talk about your new book because it's, I don't know what you think you did with this book, but it is mind-blowing. And I'm so excited for people to read it. So it's coming out in February, The Power of Regret, How Looking Backward Moves Us Forward. All right. So first, before we get into some of the the depths of it, how did you even have the idea to write this book? How did it come to you? You know, I guess it came to me slowly, but at some level, Kathy, all at once. Uh, So I I don't think I would have written this book in my 30s. I don't think I had it in me. I don't think I had enough mileage on me. (laughs) <laughs> uh, and, and I think that, that where I am now in my life, in my mid-50s, is that I've got life to look back on, and and it's some. It's not nothing, you know? It's some. <laughs> but then I've also got life to look forward to. Uh, and so I'm at this weird point where it sort of felt unlikely in my 30s and inevitable in my 50s. And I think the reason for that was that I had started thinking about regrets of my own. I, what, what catalyst was one of my kids, one of our kids graduated from college. Wow. And I'm at her graduation and I'm thinking I'm kind of mystified by the whole thing because yeah. this kid used to be like a peanut and now she's has a degree. And also for me, it's like, how can I possibly have a kid who's graduated from college? Because I only graduated from college like three years ago. I'm like 25, <laughs> 26. And, and anyway, so I'm having this like sort of out of body experience. And for whatever weird reason, I started thinking about my regrets about college. I had several of them and I just started talking to people about it and found that people were leaning in on this topic in ways that I, I hadn't really experienced before, even though it's a topic that makes us a little uneasy. I, I think that's in, in part because it makes us uneasy, people actually want to lean. And so when I started talking a little bit about that experience, I found people leaning in and I actually was working on, on another project, another book project. And, and I, I had to call up my editor and say, I've got some good news and some bad news. Um, 
and said, I want to stop working on this book that I'm working on now because I think I have something better. Wow. Yeah. That's really something I think a lot of us relate to about 89% of this audience is, is women around their forties. And so I yeah. think watching your kids kind of grow up and going, wait a minute, how did she get to be bat mitzvah or sweet 16 or college or whatever it is? It, it hits you like a train. I'm, I'm going through that now with my oldest. How and, old is your oldest? Well, she's only 10, but like I have a five-year-old and just the fact that, I don't know, it, it is just like the passage of time. It's interesting what you're saying about how people really don't like to look at regret. And uh, I'm Jewish and we have a concept called harata in Hebrew, which means it means regret, but it's constructive, right? It's like, <laughs> it's not shame. It's about yeah. sort of like taking an accounting of your life and using it as like, oh, well, this these are actually helpful things because then I can actually apply myself differently. And I, I love that you make that point in the book that this actually can move us forward. Help us be a little less scared of this topic by understanding how this can actually be positive. Yeah. So let's talk about this is partly an American problem, what we're going on here, because I think Americans have kind of OD'd on positivity. Uh, and so we think that we should always be positive, that positive emotions are the only thing. And, and that's not quite right. The way that I think about this is that we want to have a portfolio of emotions in the same way we have a portfolio of investments. And, and like our investment portfolio, we want that portfolio to be at least a little bit diversified. And so if you have only positive emotions, you're missing out on things because negative emotions are functional. You shouldn't, they shouldn't overwhelm you. But, and, and what the research tells us, and I went back and looked at you know, 40 years of science on, on regret, what the research tells us is that our most common negative emotion is regret. Uh, and the reason for that is that it's functional and, it, and we have to deal with it. We have to deal with it properly. And here's how I think about it. So you can have a negative emotion like regret. And when you experience a negative emotion, you can say, you know what? I'm ignoring it. It's not real. Emotions aren't, don't tell me anything, forget about it, all right? That's one approach. That's a bad idea. That, you're, right. that's, you're, that leads to delusion. You can also do, <laughs> you can also do this where it's like, oh, negative emotion. Oh my gosh, I wanna wallow in it. I wanna bathe in the negativity. This is like the one, like emotions are the only truth. That's a bad idea too, because that leads to despair. What right. you wanna do is you wanna recognize that when you have a negative emotion, it is telling you something. It is information. And so, as I say in the book, feeling is for thinking. And so what is this emotion telling me? And one of the things is that what we know from a whole array of, of research is that these regrets, if we deal with them properly, we can go back, extract a lesson from them and apply it forward. And again, this is not some kind of like kind of feel good, rah, rah exhortation on my part. This is what science tells us. Science tells us that if we deal with our regrets properly, we can make better decisions. We can do better at work and at school, and we can find a deeper sense of meaning. I love that. I heard Joe Dispenza say something like emotion, you know, and experience without the, the charge is just wisdom now, right? You go through something with no longer having an emotional charge. Now there's just wisdom that's left. That's an interesting metaphor for, for looking at it because it's almost like there's the refinement that goes on, like, mm -hmm. like, like, like refining in the sense of refining a mineral or refining petroleum. Yeah. Like you take something that is raw and then you refine it into something that is finished. That's a good metaphor. I should have used that. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> it's it's a day that you remember if you say something that Daniel Pink says, I should use that. You're like, mm, 
he's the smartest person there ever was. That's that's all I'm saying. Um, so what are some of the core regrets that you discovered in, in going through this research? Yeah. Well, well, thank you. To me, that's one of the most interesting things in this research. And, and what I did, as you know, from from looking at the book is that among the things that I did is I collected regrets from 16,000. We're close to 17,000 now, 17,000 regrets from people in 105 countries. It's crazy. Oh and what I discovered is that the way that we traditionally been looking at regret was a little bit off. When we tried to say, OK, what do people regret? We say, oh, they regret something about education or romance or family or career or health. And what I found is that underneath there, there was something bigger going on, that around the world, people had four core regrets, four core regrets around the world. That's the thing that was so crazy about this, that, that around the world, I kept hearing the same four kinds of regrets. And so we can talk more about those if you want. Yeah. Here was what they are. Number one, I mean, there's no hierarchy, but the first one are what I call foundation regrets. And these are people, again, who say, I wish I'd worked harder in school. If only I'd worked harder in school. So we think of that as an education regret. But you have a lot of people who say, oh, I got a lot of people who wish that they had saved more money or saved mm -hmm. for retirement or been more financially prudent. You got a lot of people all around the world, a lot of people who regret starting to smoke, those kinds of things. So it's things that, that make your foundation a little bit wobbly. Yeah. Um, and they kind of creep up. They kind of creep up on you. And so foundation regrets are... If only I'd done the work, if only I worked harder in school, if only I'd taken care of my body, if only I hadn't started smoking, that's foundation regrets. Second one, one of my favorite categories, one of the most interesting categories, I think, are boldness regrets. Boldness regrets are people who, again, all these regrets are like you're at a juncture, you, you can make a choice. You can go this way or that way. And people went the wrong way. So you're at a juncture. You can play it safe. You can take a chance. And over and over and over again, again, I think what's so interesting about this over and over and over again across the domains of life, when people are at that juncture, play it safe or take a risk, people overwhelmingly regret playing it safe. Mm -hmm. And so I have literally hundreds of regrets that have the same formulation, something like this. X years ago, there was a man, woman whom I really liked. I wanted to ask him, her out, but I didn't. And I've regretted it ever since. Um, people who regret not starting businesses, people who regret a lot of interesting regrets. Maybe it's not so surprising, especially among women. There aren't that many gender differences, but this was, I think, a, a slight one. Who regret not speaking up. You want to say something at a meeting, in your community, to somebody you, you know, not speaking up, not being assertive, not being bold. And so boldness regrets are, if only I'd taken that chance. Third one, very interesting category too. Small, but interesting are moral regrets. Again, you're at a juncture. You can do the right thing. You can do the wrong thing. People do the wrong thing. And overwhelming numbers of us regret it. And it's, um, I have hundreds of people who regret bullying kids in school. I, I have hundreds of regrets about marital infidelity. And mm -hmm. I have also a, a, lot, a wider array of people whose moral code is like, we don't share the same notion of morality, human beings. And so, so I have a, a surprising number of, regret, of people who regret not serving the military because they felt that they owed that to their country. That's a regret that I have myself. I regret that wow. I didn't do something that was pure, haven't done anything in my life that, that is pure service in the way that the military is. And so very interesting category. So, but, but most of them have to do with things like harming others or mistreating others in the moral regrets. 
So that's if only I'd done the right thing. And the fourth one, very important category, the biggest category of all connection regrets, where we have relationships. And again, it doesn't matter what the relationship is. It can be siblings. It can be your kids. It can be your spouse. It can be, oh my God, friends. Friends, 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 friends are so important in people's lives and we don't realize it. And what happens is you have a relationship, it comes apart. It usually drifts apart. And people say, gosh, I should reach out. Ugh, it's going to be really awkward if I reach out and they're not going to care anyway, so I'm not going to reach out. So it drifts a little further and we're always wrong. Uh, one of the lessons for me of this book is truly, seriously, always reach out always reach out. Uh, and I have all kinds of stories in the book of people who, one woman who had a friend who was in serious health problems. She wanted to reach out. She wanted to call her. She didn't. And the day that she called her friend, the friend had died just before. Um, oh, that's so always, always reach out. So connection regrets are if only I'd reached out. So when we look at these four regrets together, what's interesting about this and very unexpected when I began the search to try to make sense of this stuff is that these four core regrets teach us a lot. They are the photographic negative, as I call it in the book, of a good life. Because if we understand mm -hmm. what people regret the most, we understand what they value the most. And so what do we want out of life? We want a stable foundation. We want a chance to take some risks and lead a psychologically rich lives. We actually want to do the right thing. I, I'm convinced of that in, in, in looking at this. The vast majority of us want to be good. And then finally, we want to be connected to other people. And so this negative emotion surfaces what is best in life, which is stability and growth and goodness and love. This is unbelievable. It's so powerful. I have a question for you based on a conversation I had yesterday with Jonathan Fields. And, you know, we're, we're all trying to do work that is going to improve our lives and hopefully other people's lives. And he said, yeah. I think I have a sense at this point, you know, what really makes a good life. And yet he said, we're all still so, 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 so scared of being rejected. So scared of not belonging that even when we're aware that we need to say something, that we need to reach out, that we, whatever, I mean, some of those are not about rejection, but a lot of them are at the core. More, it's like, yeah. we want to belong. We want that belonging. Oh my God, we'll be rejected. Oh my God. He goes, well, we just, we just still won't do it because the fear is so great. What do you think about that? And how do you think knowing more? Again, here's another amazing book with such wisdom in it, staring us straight in the face, right? How can we then take that? Like you were just saying, that's like the, the inverse of then what, what shows mm -hmm. you a good life. How can we then just make the decision that we're actually going to follow through, even if it's terrifying because of those like more innate primal fears? It's a great, it's a great question. And, you know, Jonathan, obviously he has the good life project. So mm -hmm. he you know, has been thinking about this for a very, very long time. And I do think his analysis is largely right. I, I give you two ideas on how to confront that. Number one is start small. Don't try to do everything, try to do one thing. That's the universal principle of life. So it's like, oh my gosh, I need to get into shape. Let me go run 10 miles right now. No, right. go walk around the block, <laughs> right. you know? So start small. And a way to start small is this. One of the interesting, th at the core of regret, 
cognitively is our ability to travel through time in our heads. This is what allows us to experience regret, but it also gives us a tool for transforming regret into a force for good. So one thing that I like to do is this. You're about to make a decision. Go forward in your head in time, one year, five years, 10 years, whatever the time frame seems to be appropriate for that particular situation. Go forward in time, get in your time machine, go in your time machine. Now you're in your time machine, it's five years from now. You're looking back at your life at this moment, what decision would you have wanted to make? And what I found is that is incredibly clarifying. People always know, not always, but people often know. And part of it has to do, and I write about this a little bit in terms of how we reckon with this, is that when we make decisions about our lives, we need to distance ourselves from them. That when we're caught up in our own head, we end up getting hijacked and paralyzed by exactly what you were talking about, fear, uh, not belonging, the potential sting of rejection. Right. And what we want to do is we want to distance ourselves from that. So a way to distance themselves, very appropriate for regret, is distancing ourselves in in time. Uh, you know, another very simple thing to do on that, relatively little to do with regret, it, like one of the best decision-making tools there is, you're trying to make a decision. Ask yourself, what would you tell your best friend to do in this situation? You do that, everybody knows what to do because you've yeah. distanced yourself from it. So yeah. I think those tools are, are really useful in overcoming the hurdles and obstacles that you and Jonathan are talking about. Yeah, I love that looking forward five years that's pretty clarifying i think that it is you know i i really do i was trying to think about that a little bit in the pandemic it's like you know what do i want five years from now how do i want to look back on this pandemic did i want to say oh man all i did was complain and drink heavily or did i <laughs> try to did i try to do something valuable with this with this time and you know am i going to look back five years from now and say oh my god you you had this moment this really weird, bizarre moment in our lives, in our history, and I squandered the whole thing. Yeah. When you were writing it, what were you hoping that people would take away or do as a result? Or what paradigm did you hope would shift in their own life after reading? Well, I was hoping that people would get rid of this ridiculous no regrets philosophy, this idea that they're emotionally healthy and well-adjusted people if they go around saying they have no regrets. What the research shows instead is that People who have no regrets are usually tiny children or people with brain damage and sociopaths uh, that all of us have regrets. So I want to get past that. The other thing is I want, you know, at some level, I want people to, I guess what, because I, maybe I'm trying to do this myself, is reckon with emotions and thinking. I had never really written about emotions. And, and at some level in my own life, I think I undervalued emotions. And so I wanted to take on an emotion. But if, and the thing is, like, emotions convey truth. They're not the only thing that conveys truth. And you have to pair them with thinking. And so when we pair feeling and thinking, I actually think that that ends up giving us the right path for our lives. If we only think, it's impoverished. If we only feel, we're totally going to be messed up. But if we, if we pair them, I think that's the, that's the do. And I'd never written about emotions before. Wow, that's really interesting. Um, but I'm not surprised because you're so cerebral and you're so gifted at, at putting thoughts together and helping us think differently. And you've, you mean, you've changed so many lives in this generation because of your thinking, but it's very vulnerable and honest for you to say that that's something you wanted to access more of as your own like 
relationship with your own emotions. Totally. That's a thing. I mean, that, that wasn't, Kathy, that was unconscious. Oh, I need to reckon with my emotions. But part of the impetus was once you get underneath the, the hood a little bit was that I'd never really written about emotions and probably hadn't, you know, being kind of a hyper-rational guy myself had probably had never, never really reckoned with them in a systematic way. Yeah. And I think that, you know, you said before, I think, I think it's about balance because sometimes we get sort of like caught in emotion. And what is that? I mean, that's just us deciding to make up a story about particularly negative emotions. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and often the emotion itself is very different than the, the sea of emotions that we're now feeling because of the narrative that we're telling ourselves, which is so separate from the actual, just pure feeling of whatever is really going on. Amen. Um, and this is this is what this is what both cognitive behavior therapy and the Stoics tell us is that, you know, from you know ancient times to contem- to contemporary times, which is that, you know, we are not our emotions. That that doesn't fully define us. But at the same time, the idea that we should be emotion free is actually unhealthy as well. It's is really a matter of trying to figure out what are emotions for? What's the point, you know, what are they for? And so they're not for ignoring and they're not for wallowing in. They're for thinking because they're giving us information and we think in order to act and we feel in order to think. And I think of that that chain of approach, I think makes a lot of sense. And it has something to offend everybody because it, <laughs> it, 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 it says to the emotions don't matter crowd, you know, emotions do matter. And it says to the emotions are everything crowd. Yeah, emotions are important, but you got to think about them. So, you know, I'm an equal opportunity offender. Yes, 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 yes. I was reading somewhere yesterday that, and, and we, we know this too, This, but I just like the way that this was saying that, you know, your thoughts though, um, they can be better medicine than than almost any any drug that's out there, right? Because we we every thought is paired with, with a different chemical that's released in the brain. And so it really does go back to, you know, and and every cognitive or behavioral therapist will tell you, like, you you really do need to look at what you're thinking, right? And and what you're thinking has a lot more to do with how you're feeling than how you're feeling. Absolutely. It's the interplay between the two that constitute who we are as human beings. And and yeah. also not only who we are, and again, I don't want to sound woo-woo, but not only who we are, but who we can be. That's, yeah. that's the key. Yeah. Yeah. I heard a friend say to me, don't make decisions. And this would be maybe interesting with your work, but don't make decisions based upon who you are, but make decisions based upon who you want to, who you want to be, sure. which is interesting. This conversation is so good, but I just want to take a quick ad break to thank our sponsors. If you're still sleeping on cotton, then I'm sorry, but I have bad news for you. Your sheets are dirty. Cotton is an incredibly wasteful, thirsty, and damaging crop that uses dangerous pesticides and drains the earth's water supply. It's time to move on to something cleaner, softer, better for the environment, and it doesn't have to cost a fortune. I want to introduce you to Etitude Bamboo Sheets because bamboo is better in bed. Right now, you can get 20% off your order plus free shipping when you visit etitude.com slash dreamjob. Made from the world's first clean bamboo fabric, Etitude sheets are softer than silk, sustainable as hemp, and use 500 times less water than cotton sheets. They're so silky soft that they get softer with every wash. Just ask the 15,000 customers who gave these sheets five stars. I got the rose sateen sheet set, and it's not only super pretty, but it's incredibly soft and comfortable. I truly feel as if I'm sleeping like a queen with these sheets. I also love that the sheets are breathable, moisture-wicking, and hypoallergenic, so I can sleep at night 
just at the right temperature. And best of all, I can sleep even better knowing that these sheets are good for the planet. Clean Bamboo is responsibly sourced and made in a closed loop system that recycles 98% of water in the process. And all of Etitude's products are climate neutral certified. And right now you can get 20% off your order plus free shipping when you visit etitude.com slash dreamjob spelled E-T-T-I-T-U-D-E dot com slash dream job. That's Etitude's best offer, but don't wait. It's only for a limited time. Order today for free shipping and 20% off your order at Etitude.com slash dream job. Have you ever been crypto curious? If you've thought about entering the world of cryptocurrency, but felt a little overwhelmed, Coinbase makes learning to buy and sell simple. Coinbase offers a trusted and easy to use platform to buy, sell, and spend cryptocurrency. They support the most popular digital currencies on the market and make them accessible to everyone. They offer portfolio management, and protection, learning resources, and a mobile app so you can trade securely and monitor your crypto all in one place. It's no wonder that millions of people in over 100 countries trust Coinbase with their digital assets. So whether you're looking to diversify, just getting started, or searching for a better way to access crypto markets, start today with Coinbase. I'm a fan of having multiple income streams, so I think it's great that Coinbase is providing another option for people who are interested in trying their hand in cryptocurrency and making it more approachable for everyone. For a limited time, new users can get $10 in free Bitcoin when you sign up today at coinbase.com slash dreamjob. Sign up at coinbase.com slash dreamjob for $10 in free Bitcoin. This offer is for a limited time only, so be sure to sign up today. That's coinbase.com slash dreamjob. So for you, how did this book and, and just going on the journey of writing this book, how did it sort of bring to light some of your own biggest regrets and, and how have you now made changes in your life that feel positive as a result? You know, if you go through 16,000 human regrets, yeah, you inevitably start thinking a lot about your own regret. Oh, yeah, I had that too. Oh, yeah, I had that too. And so for me, they were, there are several. So one of them is I actually felt in my life that I haven't been bold enough. Uh, that I actually, You? Yeah, yeah totally. Sure. That I okay. played it. We'll go I, with I, it. I, totally, yeah. Um, that I played it safe. And so as I think about my next thing I want to pursue, I think I want to do something a little bit, you know, a little bit bolder, something that, you know, leaves a mark. I, I could see myself doing this exercise. Let's go forward in time 30 years, 30 years from now, looking back and saying, okay, yeah, you know, you wrote some books, but you really never took like a big risk. You never really did anything like super bold. And you should do that before, before time runs out. Another big regret that I have from my younger days, and I think I've gotten better at this, is I don't think that in the first 25 years of my life, I was a kind person. I really don't think I was. And and that bugs me. Uh, I don't think I was a cruel person. I don't think I, I actually actively harm people. But I, I think I could have been a lot kinder. And what I realize as I get older is, is how much I prize that trait in other people and how I want to be that way too. So that's so kindness is a, is a big regret of mine. And to, to me, those are the two big ones. The other thing is that, you know, I've lost touch with friends. Like, I never had a falling out or anything like that. And this whole thing said, okay, you know what? You got to reach out. You got to reach out. You haven't talked to this person. You were friends with them. My wife and I were just talking about this one friend of ours whom we were very close to. We were close to. And, you know, just whatever reason, just life happened and drifted apart. No bad circumstances or anything like that. And I was like, okay. That's one of my New Year's resolutions is, uh, is like there are five people whom I want to reach out to. That's right there. I mean, I'm going to go back and reflect on what you said earlier in this piece. But I mean, that's so huge. If, if you're listening to this right now and, you know, it's, it's right around the new year still, if you would 
do that, if you would reach out to one or two of those people, that would be really powerful. Um, yeah. Wow. Yeah. And that, that's, that's, that to me might be the ultimate takeaway from this book for me is always reach out. I don't even think that's a close call. If you're wondering whether you should reach out, you should. And you should probably stop talking about it with me and reach out right now. I mean, I should probably not be saying, oh, Kathy, I'm going to reach out. I should probably shut the hell up and reach out. Get off this podcast and just yeah. sit down and reach out to people. There, yeah. There's obviously a, a lot behind that for you. What really is behind that? Is that it was a friend who you really miss or is it that why why is that so charged for you i'm not sure that it's charged as much as it is as much as it is meaningful because you know you like we were talking about before about this interplay between emotion and thinking we you know our lives are also an interplay between ourselves and others yeah. i mean ourselves are very important in giving life direction but others are important in giving it wholeness. Yeah. And there is learning that you can get from other people. There is experience you can get from other people. There is love you can get from other people. And having that constellation of people whom, you know, who are just friends is actually really important. And this is, again, I don't want to make this overly gendered, but, you know, I think men have a, a more difficult time with that. I, I look at just, Again, I don't. I don't want to go into perilous territory here, but I do mm -hmm. feel like that women, many women, tend to value friendship more than men, um, or at least have the vocabulary to talk about friendship and build friendships in a way that men sometimes do not. Again, I don't want to paint with too broad of a brush. Yeah, you've already offended everybody earlier, so it's okay. I'm just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. You know, it's interesting what you said about being bolder and being kinder, because I think of you as both of those things really kind and really bold and uh our mutual friend seth godin is one of the nicest people that ever walked the earth absolutely he thinks you're very kind so i i know for a fact seth godin that you is are. one of the kindest most wonderful people on the planet yeah he's and, like and smartest he's yeah. like the best rabbi i never had he's, he's like unbelievable <laughs> he is sort of a secular rabbi he is he you really know? is he 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 has that kind of you lean in because you Goodness. know you're getting w wisdom and yeah. You know, he has an I Old guess. Testament name, so... He does, you know, and okay. he loves you very much. So that's what I was going to say. It's so interesting because the people who are truly kind and truly bold, you would want to be more of that. And I think it's because your capacity for it is is pretty great. That's what's really interesting because you're somebody who I think of as both of those things and and clearly very humble too. But as far as the bold thing, because you said earlier that that is something that I, I think for sure, then there's been studies with women, like using the word just, right? When they're sending an email, if you just right, wouldn't, right? right. apologize and that kind of, yeah. So I do think that that would be a cool thing to talk a little bit more about what you extrapolated in terms of how we can decide to get over that. Because clearly it's, it's keeping people up at night later into their life. They they're regretful of that. And there are people sitting here right now listening to this show who really wish they could say something different to their boss, to their mother, to their kid, and they're not. And um, what can we sort of learn about that and, and change the way we're thinking about it so that we could follow through? Well, one thing that can ease some of the apprehension about that on a very, very tactical level is to prepare as 
reductive as that sounds, if you have something difficult to say to someone, truly practice saying it. As cheesy as it sounds, practice saying it into the mirror. That will mitigate some of the the fear. Some of the terror is that you're not going to do it right. Right. And in some ways, that fear is overstated. There's some interesting research from Vanessa Bonds at at Cornell showing uh, something similar with with regard to compliments that we sometimes resist giving compliments to people because we're worried mm-hmm. it's not going to come out right. And what the people on the receiving end of compliments don't care. They just appreciate the sentiment. And so if you're inarticulate That's or sweet. clumsy, it doesn't matter. And so I think the same principle holds true. It's like practice a little bit and then say it. And, you know, the other thing is, is that one of the things that comes out, I think, as another broad life lesson, just more, more broadly, is that like one of the most important questions in life is compared to what? You have to have a basis of comparison. So if you say, oh, my God, I'm apprehensive about saying this to my sibling. Oh, yeah, yeah. And now I'm sounding like a rabbi. I was just, uh, that's I, why I was I, laughing. I'm, I'm anxious and uneasy saying this to somebody. It's like, okay, that's true. But compared to what? Are you going to feel better not saying it? Are you going to feel better in a year not saying that? Are you going to feel better harboring this negative emotion, this, this weight in your soul for the next one year, two years, five years, ten years? And so always ask yourself, you have to ask yourself the compare to what question. You can't, a lot of times we compare things to some imagined murky ideal. And that's not how it is. We have to compare things to real life. Yeah, that's really helpful. And I'm comparing it, even though it's, they're both very different pieces of work. But Bronnie Ware was just here and we were talking about, you know, what she learned about the regrets of the dying. And, and the biggest thing that she took away from it was people feeling that they didn't live life on their terms, which to me is very similar to, to what you also saw, right? Is that feeling of. It's similar to the boldness regrets, which is essentially, I, I didn't take the risk of doing what I wanted to do. Instead, I conformed. Instead, I, in her terminology, I lived someone else's life. Um, and this is often the case with uh, people reflecting on their relationship with their parents, right. uh, but not only with that. It's also just, just a more uh, a more amorphous thing. It's like you know. So you know, in some ways, the ultimate act of boldness is being bold enough to be who we are, regardless of what other people think. Uh, and for me, as a again, just another broader life lesson, you know, I feel like there was a turn in my life at one point. I don't know. I can't identify a date or, or a moment or anything like that, but where I truly stopped caring what other people thought. I mean, not in a pathological way, but, you know, in that in that sort of like, oh, what do they think of me? Do they think I'm smart? Do they think I'm cool? Do they think I'm doing well? Do they think, you know, and I basically said I, I got a dawning. My big discovery on that was that I actually discovered what people were thinking about me, which is that they weren't. <laughs> because they were thinking about themselves. And it's like, oh yeah, that's probably right, yeah. So I just don't care about what other people think. I just try to do my thing. You can't eradicate it altogether. But you know, there's a great line, I don't know who did it. It's a, fun, it's a great line uh, where it's like, there's certain people, it's like, you wouldn't let them into your house, why do you let them into your head? Right, it's really, it's like striking, right? When you say like, they don't, they're not thinking about me and they're not. They're not. Know, they, 
That's not a philosophy. That's a truth. That's a, an empirical <laughs> fact about life. And you think that anybody walking up and down the street here, or even like lots of people who know me, are thinking about me? No, they're thinking about themselves, and they're right. thinking about their, you know, maybe the the people who are closest to them. But they're not going around saying, "Oh, is Dan a good writer or not? Is Dan successful <laughs> or not?" Is Dan cool or not? No one's thinking that. They're not. Yeah. I mean, even if you're at lunch with your best friend and you're talking for a second about so-and-so just got divorced or did you read about such and such, two seconds later, you're like, do you want to split the tuna tartare? And it's over. It's not that interesting because we're all so self-absorbed. We'd rather explain how the painter came late and he's driving us crazy than talk about you. And I'm so self-absorbed that I probably would not want to share the tuna tartare because I would want it to myself. I really <laughs> like that. I like it too. Yeah, yeah. And you are somebody who's had a tremendous amount of success by every standard. And so when you are now writing this new book, do you have that part of your ego that does that dance with like, well, it has to be a New York Times bestseller because it's yeah, not. Yeah, no, I do. Okay. And totally. then how do you how do you totally. how do you let that go so that you can function as a human? It's a great question. I'm so glad you asked that. Uh, because uh, no, I mean it. I mean it because I don't want to. I don't want to BS and say, oh, no, I do care about that. I absolutely care about that. There's no question about it. What I try to do, successfully or unsuccessfully, is not make that the center of everything. Not make that the only reason. Sort of make it as much as I can a a side dish or a seasoning rather than the main course. And what I found is that, and I don't want to make that sound more noble than it really is because there's a pragmatic side to that. Let me give you an example of this. So when I was working on this book, I, early on, was really struggling to put it together, to make it work, just to get words on the page, to figure it out. And it was, I was so frustrated that I actually started reaching out to people and said, you know what, I think I might need a coach. I never really had a coach before. I never had a coach before. And so I reached out, uh, I don't want to say his name, but I reached out through a friend of mine, reached out to a, a coach, and this is during the pandemic, and we had a Zoom call, as we often did. He was not even in the United States, he was in another country. And I was telling him about the project, and it's like, okay, so, you know, I was being very strategic about, okay, so maybe I should do this, maybe I should do that, and he's like, okay, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Here's the thing. You're, this book, you don't have a purpose. You don't know the purpose of, you don't even know why you're doing this. You don't have a purpose for writing this thing. And he said to me, we don't even need to talk that much longer. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to send me an email and tell me what the purpose of this book is. Not like a marketing pitch, but what's the purpose? And I'm like, oh man. And um, can we just talk about how frustrated I am? And I said, okay. And I realized that he was totally right, that I didn't have a purpose. And it took me like, we're talking like a few sentences, Kathy. It, I think I didn't get it done for like three weeks. Mm. And I finally did it. And he was totally right. And in fact, I actually, and I put it on, I mean, I have it right here. I have it on my wall, which is, I mean, your podcast listeners won't do this. We're talking on Zoom and I'm reaching across my I love you. I love it. Within, I love that you're within, sharing this. It's so humble and vulnerable. Within reaching distance, and I'm pulling off a typewritten piece of paper here that I'm showing to Kathy that shows like the, the purpose of the book. And when I would struggle, 
I would look it over that. Okay, that's right. That's why I'm doing this. And I have to tell you, if I said, oh, I want to have a bestseller, that wouldn't have done it. Writing is too hard. So you got to put something else in the center. You can have this other stuff be, as I said, they they can be side dishes. They can be, you know, salt and pepper on it. But if it's the main dish, you're not going to make it. That's unbelievable. That was really powerful that you shared it with us and so vulnerably. What do you think in terms of that purpose? I mean, I think everybody who's listening to this show is really seeking purpose in general and and so much that they want to wake up for that. Mm -hmm. What do you think after listening to so many people is potentially something that we could miss out on if we weren't going to really reflect on on what you're writing about in this book, what what's at stake that you're hoping mm-hmm. that we might capture while we have this precious time here? It's a nice way to put it. And I what your listeners don't know is that I'm taking notes here because I think that's a I think that's a really important question to ask. I think it's a really important question to ask us in life. And I think it's a really important question for writers to ask, uh, because anytime you're writing anything, you know, certainly any kind of narrative, there has to be something at stake. And I think that what's at stake here is something really big. And it's, are we going to squander the, the limited time we have alive? Yeah. Are we going to use it well? Or are we just going to squander it? And that is the kind of thing that should keep you up at night. Not you, but what, that's the kind of thing that should keep one up at night. What should keep you up at night is not, what does so-and-so think of me? What should keep you up at night is, holy smokes, I'm only alive for this very brief, this fleeting, this finite amount of time. Am I going to use it well or am I going to squander it? Oh, it's so good. All right, before we start wrapping up, I just want to give a quick shout out to our sponsor. A lot of us say, I want to be happy and achieve my goals. But since we're human, we often get in our own way. Thankfully, there's BetterHelp. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist so you can connect in a safe and private online environment. It's super convenient. You can start communicating in less than 48 hours, all without ever having to sit in any uncomfortable waiting room. They're committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches, so they make it easy and free to change counselors if you need to. And it's more affordable than traditional offline counseling. They even have financial aid available. BetterHelp offers a wide range of expertise like stress, anxiety, relationships, depression, trauma, self-esteem, and anything you share is confidential. You're going to get timely and thoughtful responses. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions and send a message to your counselor anytime. Last year, I was trying to navigate some really big life choices. So I used BetterHelp to talk to a counselor and it really helped me get some clarity on the decision that aligned with what I really wanted. So it's just so important to take care of our mental health. And I love that BetterHelp is making the service more accessible to everyone. Start living a happier life today. Get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash dreamjob. Join over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health. That's betterhelp.com slash dreamjob for 10% off your first month. Thanks, BetterHelp. So in your humble opinion, what would it look like, do you think now, looking at all of this data for us to have not squandered it, for us to really make the most of it? What's a way that we could we could think about using our time that you think would be well spent? Have you been good? Have you done the right thing? Have you contributed? Uh, do you have people who love you and and whom you love? And have you been able to learn and grow and do something interesting? And everything else is commentary. Okay, that's so incredible because 99% of the emails and DMs that I get are not about that. They're about 
making more money, achieving more things that we can post about on Instagram and being liked by as many people as possible. Yep. Well, I think it's much more important to be loved than to be liked. Let me put it that way. And I, and, um, I've never said that. I've never really thought about it in that way. So much more important to be loved than to be liked. So what you want out of life is you want to have people you love and have people who love you. That is the most important thing. And I've always, I've always sort of known that at some level. And again, there's research affirming that. There's certainly the, the, the famous uh, grant study at Harvard that tracked people over decades and decades and decades made that very, very clear. But I also think that what we also want to do in our limited time here is be good. And we also mm-hmm. want to contribute and we also want to, at some level, test our limits, not by jumping off of mountains necessarily, but you know, can I at least try to become a better version of myself than I was yesterday or two years ago? And it doesn't even matter the domain. If you want to be, it's like, oh, you know what? I'm going to learn how to be a freaking great gardener, right. uh, you know, uh, or I, I want to know how to build a canoe. Or I want to know, I want to be like the most helpful neighbor in my community, that, that kind of stuff. And I, and I think that like a lot of it, and I, and I wrote about this in the book, is that a lot of the other stuff is just commentary, that we, that we end up endlessly trying to maximize things that ultimately don't matter. And on those things, we should do what social psychologists call satisfice, just like, okay, whatever. What kind of car should I drive? It doesn't matter. It truly, the kind of car you drive has absolutely no matter, no effect on your well-being, zero in an enduring way. So find a car that you like and drive it. Who cares? What you should be focusing on is calling that friend who you haven't talked to for a while. What you'd be focusing on is spending time with your kids. What you'd be focusing on is taking a risk in your professional life that will allow you to do something big. That's what really matters. And so we end up getting, your your DMs are a good example of that. We end up spending our time and our emotional energy on things that ultimately don't matter. And we know from the regret research and other research that there are a few, very small number of things that matter a lot. And most stuff doesn't matter at all. And so you're gonna be, a, you're gonna lead a better life if you focus on what matters and don't stress out over what doesn't matter. It's so empowering because nobody needs to come along and give you permission to go be more generous. And that's ultimately Absolutely what not. You, nobody has to come along and give you permission to go find a way to grow more in some capacity this week or today. And yet so many people are sitting on the bench, distracted and focused on abundance. That seems to be like the number one thing people spend all their time on. And all of the well-being you're saying that really endures is going to come from contributing, from growth, and and from loving and being loved. And also, and also, and having some stability. I have that as one of the you know the foundation regrets of having right. some having some stability. I don't think it's like, well, you know, I'm I'm unhoused and hungry, but I have a really good friend. That's not going to cut it. So you know that that stability, that foundation is actually is actually important. But what people are DMing you about is not their foundation. What they're DMing you about right. is not the foundation of their life building, but the penthouse suite of their life building. Why you know, do you think? Why do you think that people are so distracted and so preoccupied with that? What? What is the? Why? Why is it? Is it they're like this never enough in that department? Well, I, I think in some ways you've answered your own question. I think it's because there is never enough. This is why you have these 
that, that there's always somebody better. There's always somebody, right. if, you're, if you look at things as like a, a ranking of who's on top and who's not, there's always going to be somebody higher than you, no matter what you do. This is why you have this thing that's that like, like that you and I look at as, as insane, but that they look at as like, of course, it's like, oh, so like these billionaires battling over, oh, no, I don't want to be the eighth richest person in the world. I want to be the seventh richest person in the world. And civilians like you and I are like, what are you Civilian. crazy? What are you nuts? Like, what difference does that make? Um, you know, you, you got you got plenty like, OK, eighth. All right. Take eighth. You know, so I think that that's part of it. And I also think there's a degree of passivity in letting other people decide for you. Uh, Seth, our friend, has written about this and he's offered advice that I have. And I've told him this, that I've given to my own kids, uh, which is that, you know, it's very easy to get to lead your life by getting picked as he has said. And what you want to do is you want to pick yourself. And that's a very powerful lesson. And, and, and I think that I spent part of my earlier life, it's, to some extent, trying to be picked. And now I just, as much as I can, you can't do it fully, try to pick myself. But, but it's something that I told my kids. It's really, really good. And I'm, I'm apprehensive to ask you. So you, I'm just going to say an obvious thing, which you don't have to answer the question, but I'm curious because you said it earlier and you're talking about picking yourself. So if you're going to be bolder, as you said, that was something you really realized you want to do in a much you know, bigger way. What, what, what's coming? What does that look like? I don't you? know yet. I don't know yet. I truly do not. I mean, for me, I think part of it is... I, I what are you know. curious about? What even is starting to feel like an area you want to explore or how that would look even a little bit different potentially? Uh, it could be something, you know, fairly different from what I'm doing right now. So it could be something like, I, 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 truly, I, I truly don't know. I think part of me right now, I mean, because of my stage of life and because of my relative security is I almost miss the feeling of being a beginner on mm. something. And, and like, I, I found something that I can do reasonably well and I kind of know how to do it. And I can always get better. We can always get better at it. But I sort of like the idea of being a beginner at something. And, you know, in the way that, you know, suppose I didn't learn, I didn't know how to ride a bike or I didn't know how to swim, something like that. Like just being a beginner at something and having that, we don't have a word for it in English, but that mix of frustration of being inept, but also the potential of the learning curve being you know, steep like that, rather than at my stage doing what I've been doing for 20 years, like the learning curve is still going up, but it's not going up at, at the same, at the same slope. That's incredible. And that's really, it's beautiful self-awareness. And it, it, it's true. I mean, at this point, you are among a small group of people who is consistent and brilliant. And I don't know what Gay Hendricks would say about it in terms of your big leap and all of that, because it's like at a certain point you're you're playing in your your zone of excellence, right? And 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 I would say that you're probably one of those people who's a genius in this work, and you crave right what we all crave, which is like we 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 are addicted to certainty, but it's in the uncertainty that we have those That's an interesting point, yeah. You know, yeah, we, but, I, but it goes to it goes to what I found out in the regret that I think that most of us want to learn and most of us do ultimately want to learn and grow. It's just that it's it can be perilous. And so if you're at a juncture and, you know, do you want to 
continue doing what you've been doing because you're okay at it and it's safe? Or do you want to do something else, even though that it's uncertain? What I found in nearly 17,000 entries is that um, a lot of us choose the, the easy path and later in life, we regret that. And people who choose that riskier path often do not succeed, but they rarely regret it. And I, there's a lesson there. Yeah, there's a lesson there. I'm actually going through that myself and it's scary. I, I, you know, came into this work and this business has built, it's an eight figure business teaching people oh how to come up with an idea and start a business essentially. Yeah. And I said to my team the other day, I didn't get into this work to teach people how to start a business. I, I came into the work to help people answer the question of, you know, what's my life's work? Like what, where, yeah. where's the purpose in my life? And so I really want to just do more of that, you know, really hitting just the, the paradigm shift of coming into that alignment with, with yourself and, and sort of winding back the, the tapes of, of thoughts that keep you from being who you are. And it's really scary. It's like, oh, that's so, what is that? Wishy-washy, woo-woo, self-help. It's like, it's just give me a very, you know, clear beginning, middle, and an end. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm processing that. And ultimately, I think we want to show up for the assignment of being who we are more than, yeah. yeah. And so, right. And, and who we can, and who we can be. I mean, it's both. Yeah. Well, this was such an interesting, beautiful, I'm honestly blown away at how candidly you just like talk about yourself. I think that that says so much about you. And it's well. Thanks. You're kind to say that. You're 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 kind to say that. I am. Um, you know. I, I knew I couldn't BS you, so I might as well just be honest. <laughs> you can. So um, tell us where we can get the book, and um, tell us where to follow you. The book is called "The Power of Regret: How Looking Backward Moves Us Forward," and you can find it at any reputable bookseller online or in person. And you can also find out more about me on my website, which is danpink d a n p i n k dot com. You're awesome, Daniel Pink. Thank you for coming back. Thank you for having me back. I had such a great time talking with him. Here are the takeaways. Number one, it's good to have a portfolio of emotions. They don't define us, but they're here for a reason. Emotions tell you something. It's information. Feeling is for thinking. Number two, always reach out. If you're wondering if you should reach out, then you should. Number three, our lives are an interplay between ourselves and others. There's learning, experience, and love we can get from other people. Number four, the question that keeps you up at night shouldn't be, what do people think of me? But rather, I'm only alive for this fleeting, finite amount of time, so am I going to use it well or squander it? Number five, test your limits. Be a better version of yourself than you were yesterday. Number six, be a beginner again. Embrace the learning potential. And number seven, even if you don't succeed in the riskier path, you won't regret it. Thank you guys so much for listening. I know that you have a zillion things going on. It means so much that you're here. And I want to let you know that we have so many powerful episodes coming up. Deepak Chopra will be here, Gabby Bernstein. So definitely make sure that you subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen, follow along so you don't miss anything that's coming. And I'm curious if you know somebody who would be moved by today's episode. If you think that you do, then like Daniel Pink says, like, go ahead and send it because it matters. So you can email them the link or text them the link or post about the show on your Instagram and tag me at kathy.heller. And then I can repost some of those. And, and Dan is on Twitter as well. He's at Daniel Pink. So you could tweet to him and let him know that you enjoyed this conversation. But I just want to let you know, I love you so much. 
tomorrow, 2-22-22, begins the Made for Millions sessions. They're going to be amazing. This is 16 weeks of me coaching you on Zoom. We're going to be doing Q&As at the end. We're going to be having so many incredible guests. If you want to look, you can see the list at kathyheller.com slash millions. And when you enroll, you also get four months of my membership. So you also get four months of our calls every single month where I'm doing meditation with you guys. Um, you also get a ticket to my virtual retreat when you sign up. So go ahead and grab that. And if you want to find out more, go to kathyheller.com slash millions. We begin tomorrow with Danielle Laporte. There's going to be sessions with me and Candace Nelson and Jenna Kutcher and Martha Beck and Amy Purdy. It's just going to be so much mindset and strategy and you're just going to feel amazing being in there and you're going to learn so much and you're going to, you're going to feel changed by it. So we're starting tomorrow. If you want to find out more, go to kathyheller.com slash millions. I love you so much. I'll leave you with a song of mine and I'll talk to you Thursday. This is the moment This is